on Labor Day weekend, I had the opportunity to meet my parents and my brother and his family out in the mountains of Colorado. I don't know, we were up maybe 8,000, 9,000 feet, something like that, and looked out the front window and there was Pikes Peak. So we were on the back side of, of that range. It was beautiful weather in the 70s, like it should be here. <laughs> Man. My brother has a daughter who is in high school, a son who is a fifth grader, and then a little girl who just turned three years old. So with that in mind, he created an agenda for us that was rather kid-friendly, I would say. So one evening, for example, we went to a wolf reservoir, reserve, sanctuary. So wolves, some that had been abandoned, like people bought a wolf thinking it would be a good pet and then figured, oh man, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Well, they abandoned them, or it might have happened that a zoo couldn't handle them, or they just found them in the wild. They created these large fenced-in areas where the wolves would be. And so my brother purchased tickets for an evening feeding of the wolves. Now, I wouldn't have guessed it, but wolves are a little picky when it comes to eating. They prefer steak. For <laughs> oh, real. Early in the day, he rented what I think are called OHVs, off-highway vehicles. My parents and my oldest niece went in one, a four-seater. My nephew and I went in a two-seater, side by side. And I'd been out there four years ago, we actually all had, on these mountain trails with ATVs, four-wheelers, they don't seem to rent those anymore. And I remember getting quite dusty, in fact, muddy. And I thought, I just don't want to do that this year. I just don't want to do that. But, but I happened to drive through a puddle with the tires on the passenger side and it threw up mud on my nephew's arm. And he just cackled, just laughed. And I thought, well, I think you have a responsibility here. <laughs> so we hit lots of mud puddles as fast and as hard as we could. We were drenched, we even, at least I did, I was laughing so much I was taking in mud and muddy water <laughs> as it came my way. So what can we say? We can say the, the end, the goal, making my nephew laugh, specified, indicated what the means needed to be. Go through mud puddles, right? To will the end, laughter was to will the means, the mud. In the gospel, What's the central point, would you say? What's the end, the goal? What he told that parable for? Being trustworthy, right? Probably, that's the conclusion it reads, being trustworthy. The word in the original Greek is pistos. It means faithfulness. So dishonest wealth, wealth that can be used in a dishonest way, he's saying it's not your property, your steward. God has entrusted it to you not for your own personal gain, luxury, excess, but to glorify God, which in turn indicates his goodness and draws people to him. It's to glorify God, and it's to help the welfare, the good of his children. And we heard that in the opening prayer. I'm sure that's where it came from. Love of God, love of neighbor. Let us do that and hope to merit eternal life. There's the end, there's the goal, and he's indicating, oh, here's means, and he's sketching that out pretty clearly for us. Evidently, the way in which we use dishonest wealth is an indication 
of what we believe the final goal, the end, the goal of life, the meaning of life, the next world is. So it seemed to me that this was the perfect context to share the annual financial report. <laughs> right? Seems perfect. Glad you agree with me. They're at the end of the pews. If you would just pass them down, we'll breeze through this. It'll be fun, promise. The Archdiocese asks that we do this every year uh, for the sake of transparency and accountability. It's a straightforward report. First, I want to say thank you to the Finance Council members for serving us as they have, and thank you for your dedication uh, to the parish, your contributions, your sacrifices. We begin on the left side, the ordinary operations under the revenue tithing. Okay, so what is tithing? Well, just based off the gospel, that's a reflection of our conviction about what wealth is for. Glorifying God, right, and taking care of others, his children. Tithe, that word comes simply from scripture. Tithe literally means 10%. Oftentimes it's broken down in offering 6% of your income to the parish and 4% of the charities. Often when a parish is engaged in a capital campaign, then it's encouraged that all 10% would be directed to the parish to split between operations and the campaign. But just as a reference point, if you make 75,000 a year, 6% of that is 4,500, which works out to like $87 a week. Here's some other reference points. Call your tithe to mind. If you can't call your commitment to mind, then that itself is a little question mark, right? So call your tithe to mind and think, how does that compare with maybe what I'm spending on streaming services or on my cell phone? or maybe even car payment, okay? So kind of think, all right, those are reference points. All right, thank you again for your dedication and your sacrificial contributions. Under expenses, I'll just hit a couple of these. The first employee expenses, you notice has an asterisk there. There's also an asterisk next to net income. You can see that, oh, net income for a nonprofit, that looks pretty good. I'm gonna say thank you for that, but that's especially due to being severely understaffed all last year. Like the labor shortage that is everywhere is also in the church. So we are close to being fully staffed and we anticipate that in the next few weeks. So it should be break even, but given the uncertainty with energy costs and such, oh, we're not absolutely sure about that for the coming year, but it should be very close. Uh, general parish operations. So that line item, that includes, for example, the rents here, it's about 7,500 a month to rent this building. It also includes some of the one-time improvements that we did. It's hard to believe it's almost been a year that we moved in here, it's been great. But it took uh, some initial investment to do some of the things. Uh, it also includes energy costs. And then the re remodeling of the rectory um, is worked into that as well and say a special thanks to the Knights of Columbus who made that possible. They, they worked hard at that. Uh, grade school subsidy, that's a large line item, 185,000. I'll come back to that in just a moment. You see the cash balances as of June 30th, our fiscal year is July 1 to June 30. And then over on the right side, capital campaign again, it's 
straightforward. I might point out the third line item down. It's profit from the sale of the Lind Rectory. So if you remember last year, we, this house came for sale over here. We thought, wow, that's got to be worth a lot less than the house that I was currently living in. So we bought that one, sold the other one, turned a profit of 128000 and then deposited that in the campaign account. And so that, that was good, at least from my vantage point, that was good. Expenses. Uh, so we had uh, some expenses out of the camp capital campaign account, furniture, fixtures, liturgical goods. So as the overall plan for the campus was created, there was a certain allotment given for uh, furniture and fixtures. Like you have a parish hall where you're gonna have tables and chairs, you're gonna have offices, you're gonna have desks in there, right? Classrooms, th things like that. We just ended up in a building sooner than we anticipated. And so the finance council said, okay, since those are legitimate campaign expenses, we'll purchase those now and take those with us when we move. Does that make sense? So they're in a sense movable items for that. Tom, uh, uh, activity since inception, I might just point out uh, under total expenses, fundraising, professional fees, and then rectory. So we purchased the rectory with capital campaign funds because building a rectory is part of the overall project. So when it comes time to actually build a rectory on our land, we'll take the equity in the house and use it to build the rectory, right? Make sense? Okay, I'll come back to the campaign at the end. So just to uh, pause briefly on the school subsidy, 185,000. So the Archdiocese says Catholic education is good. We'd agree with that. And every parish that does not have their own school is required to make up the difference between the, the tuition that a family pays and the cost to educate. Okay, so tuition obviously does not cover the full cost to educate. So the parish is responsible for every family who sends a child to receive a Catholic education if they don't have their own uh, school. Does that make sense? That's the difference uh, bet between, uh, th that's the subsidy, that's what that means. So it's an important reference. I reached out to Father Jerry Voles at uh, Corpus Christi in Lawrence. K through eight school, their school budget is 2.1 million. This, they subsidize their families at about $700,000. Now I also reached out to Father Brian Sheeper over at St. Michael's, but he can't really bother himself with the trifles of those things. He couldn't remember if it was three million or four million. <laughs> that they were sending. It's a different world over there. <laughs> so our subsidy, we have about 70 kids, almost all of whom go to Prince Peace. So Prince Peace is not gonna cover the full cost of educate, right, for our kids. So for one child, it's $1,650 per year. For two ch children, it's about 5,000. For three children, it's 9,400. And for four children, it's about $16,000. So the more children you send, the more discount the school gives for tuition, but that doesn't reduce the cost to educate. That just means that the sending parish has a greater subsidy. And I asked myself, I thought, okay, so what would be the cumulative investment of a parish 
in a family in these circumstances. So if you had one child, what would we be investing in that one child? Well, K through eight, it would be about $15,000. I said, okay, so what, what would be cumulative investment if you had two children spaced about two years apart? What would that be, right, on our part? It's about 43,000. I said, what about three kids spaced two years apart? That's 64,000. For four children, it's $112,000 in that one family for K three. That's a significant investment, right? Catholic education is good. It's a significant investment. Now, last year I called all Catholic school families together for a presentation. I'll do this with all new ones as well. To one, just kind of paint the picture of discipleship, what it looks like, and to run these numbers by people because I think majority of us have no clue what it costs, right, to do that, the support that's necessary. I want to acknowledge that the Catholic school families, in many respects, have borne kind of the sting of the duty to form a new parish, right, because they're kind of straddling two communities. Send their kids to one, but they're asked to be here. It's a duty, right, this call to build a new parish. It's part of that proclamation of the gospel that Jesus gave, go into the whole world and proclaim the good news. He didn't say, if you want, go into the world and proclaim the good news, but hey, this is a duty. If you're a disciple, you go out and do this. So I essentially see all of us gathered here as investors. Now, what I communicate to them, you have investors, they're willing to invest in your children's Catholic education, but they want a Catholic education for your children. It's possible to go through a Catholic school and not get a Catholic school education. So I asked uh, the families who were there, the Catholic school families, Catholic education, that's your end, that's your goal, right? What are the means necessary to achieve that? Well, you rely on this community, do you not, substantially? Right, you can't do it on your own, so what do you need? You need people here contributing sacrificially, financially, yes, but also morally, volunteering. The community does not survive just on monetary contributions, right? It requires the heart. And so I said, to will the end is to will the means. We're willing to provide that subsidy to you if you will not undercut that. That is, if you will engage with what's necessary in order for the community to provide that, to assume that responsibility. Does that make sense? That seemed kind of fair? Yeah, okay, so here's where I pulled the rug out from underneath you. Because isn't that true for all of us? Don't we all require one another in order for this to happen? I mean, one single individual is not contributing enough in order for this to happen. And just think, if my, your son's daughter was in danger of death, you wanna be able to call a priest and have them come as soon as possible, immediately, to offer the last rites. Do you not? Well, just think what that requires. Something beyond what an individual is to do. So to that end, I want to challenge, especially the men, because you have, statistically speaking, an outsized role in the development of the faith of your children. If you jump in, your children are much more likely to be engaged. Parents, if you're wondering how you keep your teens engaged, 
you start when they're really young and involve them in the work here. Help them to be engaged so they understand this is not just a spectator sport, but I'm a participant, I have a responsibility. I wanna encourage all of you. We are in desperate need, I might say, of volunteers. For example, last night we had no sacristan. Sacristan sets up for mass and cleans up afterwards. So after confessions, Actually, before I set up for mass and afterwards I cleaned up. Not complaining, but it's a little bit like allowing mom to prepare the meal, serve the meal, and clean up the dishes. That's not a virtuous activity, right? It is for mom, but not for, for others, okay? Oftentimes at this mass at nine o'clock, I have to hold open the door grab a bunch of bulletins and try to hand them out as people go out because we don't have sufficient volunteers. In former days, we'd probably say, that's a shame, right? That's not what we want. That's indicating something's going on here that we want to rectify. So I want to challenge you to volunteer. Um, we have a training on Tuesday at 6.15 for sacristans. At seven o'clock on Tuesday, we have a training for ushers and greeters and uh, I will make it available um, virtually if you're unable to attend. You see gift bearers on there, but we can do gift bearers if we have a sufficient number of ushers in the event that a gift bearer doesn't show up and we need to recruit someone to bring the gift forward because I could be stranded up here without water and wine the host, right? So those basic things. So if you would please be generous in signing up for that. Ending with the campaign. Uh, people are beginning to ask, well, what about the campaign? Where are we at with that? What's going on with that? Um, at one level, I felt that given kind of a couple of turbulent years with, uh, with the pandemic and such, that we needed to kind of get our feet underneath us and to develop us into identity and community before we then really re-engaged with this, or to ask people if they'll contribute, if they're not sure that the parish is going to last or survive. Okay, we, we are, we're here, we're not gonna be here forever in this location, but as a parish, we will be. Okay, so I thought partly that, but I can only mention this vaguely because it's still a possibility, though it looks more and more likely there is a possibility of a contribution to the campaign that will reshape it fundamentally or significantly. That hasn't quite materialized. If it doesn't, I'll let you know. If it does, of course, I'll let you know. We're close, we think, to knowing finally about that. But until we get that in place, um, it just, it, we can't. It's that significant of an event that we can't take the next step. So we're not just twiddling our thumbs, we are working behind the scenes, but that's partly why. Now, there are only a handful of individuals that know any details about this. They've taken a blood oath, okay? <laughs> so don't try to pry any information out. It'll be a significant step for us um, should it materialize as we re-engage. That's been on my mind a lot. To that end, I've been thinking, what about a pilgrimage to, to follow in the footsteps of John Paul II in Poland and then end at 
at his tomb in, in Rome. I mentioned that last year at this time, um, but there's a war in Ukraine, and I just, just have trouble trying to recruit people to go over where it might be a little dangerous, but I kept feeling prompted, but you could go, you could go, you could take some videos and allow people to participate uh, in that way, perhaps to inspire us, to educate us for sure, move us on the way. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You could end up with a new priest, right? So that's not <laughs> the worst thing that could happen, right? So at the end of October, um, I have plans to go. A priest in Chicago who is from there has some contacts over there, so I intend to go. Meredith in the business office, strongly encouraged if not told me to make sure that I tell you we're not using campaign funds for this. It's my own conviction that this would be helpful, so I'm drawing upon my own in order to create the means necessary to achieve the end. Um, friends, it's a gift to be here with you. It's a great calling for all of us at this time, and I thank you for your engagements and dedication.